You know, everything in the Christian faith goes back to Jesus. You know, he's our foundation. He's the architect. He's the builder. He's our spiritual guru, our rabbi, our sensei, and more than just a teacher, more than just an example, he's our savior and he's Lord and he's our king. He reigns with the Father and the Spirit, one God. So everything we do and believe as Christians revolves around him. He's the epicenter of our faith, and that's a core belief that we have as a congregation. That's why we talk about being Christ-centered. Everything starts with Jesus, and that's why, as Mike kind of referenced, studying what Jesus said, as recorded in the Gospels, is going to help us to know him more intimately and more deeply, to know him, not just to know about Jesus, but to know him passionately and personally. We always start with Jesus. So listen to one simple but rather mind-blowing statement from Jesus to us as his disciples from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I gave you this work to go and bear fruit that lasts. Pretty simple. If you're a Christian, Jesus has chosen you. You belong to him, and guess what? Now he's got a job for you to do, to produce fruit in his name. The job of a Christian is to produce fruit. This deep connection that we have with Jesus is, is the starting point of living a fruitful life for him. In love, he reaches out to us, he calls us, brings our lives in alignment with his, and then Christ wants us to intentionally participate with his work in the world. He chose you so that you could share his outward focus. He wants you to impact the lives of those around you and to actually participate in the birthing of new believers. That's the fruit he's looking for. It's people, people whose hearts have turned to him. So Jesus had this outward focus, and he wants you to share that outward focus. So if your faith in Christ doesn't in some way push you outside yourself, then, then you somehow miss the point. Producing fruit is a high priority in Jesus' mind. And So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with sharing Jesus' focus on those outside, those far away from God, those lost sheep who really need to know the good shepherd? You know, what I hear from everybody, what's the word? Overwhelmed. I hear that over and overwhelmed, overscheduled, exhausted, frustrated, conflicted. We have so many good things to do, so many options, too many choices I think that's why the Japanese uh, organizing consultant Marie Kondo has become so popular. We are just drowning in our stuff. We need someone to tell us how to unclutter our physical space, which is a good thing if you want to bring stuff to our garage sale in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but more than that, don't we need to learn how to unclutter our inner space, our souls, not just our exterior world, but isn't it our interior world? Isn't that really where it starts? Isn't our interior world kind of a jumbled up mess? Conflicting priorities, desires, all these unfulfilled promises we've made to Christ about finally getting our lives organized around him. How do we simplify the way of Jesus? How do we bring our lives into alignment with the life and teachings of Jesus in a way that doesn't just crush us with guilt or, or lead to frustration? How do we bear fruit for Jesus just through the way that we live every day? If someone could show you how to do that, would you be interested? If someone could show you a simple, no guilt way to bear fruit for Jesus, would you be interested in that? Because that's the focus of our Lenten series on sharing hope in this little book that we're using called Surprise the World by Michael Frost. In the book, he just outlines five simple habits for us modern Christians 
to help us bear fruit for Jesus. Five habits, and this has caught fire in churches all around the world because we need these simple tools. And churches are, people are kind of stepping into this as a way of, of producing fruit for Christ. Simple habits that you do on a weekly basis to help your friends and neighbors and colleagues and others just kind of develop some curiosity about your faith and maybe begin a conversation about Jesus. And the book uses the little acrostic bells, B-E-L-L-S, to describe these five habits. If you can remember the word bells, you're halfway there. Stands for B stands for bless, then eat, listen, learn, and sent. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. If you can remember bells, you're halfway there. What he describes with his five words, it's not a gimmick, it's not a program, it's not a fad that'll fade away, but it's a lifestyle that we can actually learn. A Christ-centered but outwardly focused lifestyle. Habits that at first will require some discipline and some effort, but eventually they'll just become the normal way that you live. And the first habit we're going to look at is the habit to bless. What does it mean to bless others? What does it mean to be a blessing? That's the first habit. As of this week, there are 106 million Instagram posts with the hashtag blessed. Can you believe that? 106 million. If you start to take a quick scroll through some of those hashtags, you'll see shiny new cars, uh, fitness model selfies, friends celebrating birthdays, exotic plates of food, feet in the sand vacations, and parents drinking margaritas with kids nowhere in sight. Each one tagged blessed. Of course, there are some Christian ones too, some Jesus memes and scripture quotes, but some of those are a little weird and I don't really know what to do with them. But, you know, as I was kind of judging all this, I caught myself and I considered how many times I've kind of used the word blessing to kind of be in that same trajectory of saying that, you know, I'm not compulsively posting pictures of my food or something like that, but I've definitely thought that blessing was something I experienced when good things happened to me, or I felt happy or excited or optimistic. You know, if we're honest, we've all kind of drifted into that Instagram view of blessedness. It's seeped into the Christian life, and we need to realize that that's an incomplete understanding of what it means to be blessed. Ironically, I think part of our misunderstanding comes from the way blessing is talked about in the Old Testament. God's first official blessing took place very early in Scripture with Adam and Eve in the garden where he where it said, God bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Later, things got off track. God had to press the reset button and in Genesis 9 with Noah and his family. He gave them the exact same blessing. And God's people experienced God's blessing primarily as these external things of, of land and livestock and wealth and health and children. And that makes sense because God was building a group of people into a nation and they needed those things. They needed land. They needed livestock. They needed victory in battle. But even back in Genesis, there was more to blessing than just these external things. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham that God would bless him, but in turn, Abraham would be a blessing to others. In fact, the whole world would be blessed through Abraham's family. And that set the stage for a change in the meaning of blessing. Blessing uh, now meant to, that we were to be a blessing from God to others. Blessing wasn't just about good things happening to me. It was how could I bring good things into the lives of others, okay? But then, of course, along comes Jesus, who flips the idea of blessing on its head when he said, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek and all those that we now call the Beatitudes. The idea of blessing for Jesus wasn't just external things. For Jesus' blessing was internal, and it has to be with more deeply connected with God. It had to do with moving in close to the heart of God so that you could know Him and find your true wholeness and happiness in Christ, not just in the external things of the world. Our true blessing is in, is in knowing the love of Christ because all those other things are going to disappear one day. Cars, vacations, five-star restaurants, they're all going to disappear. The only lasting thing is the love that we experience through Jesus Christ. So if we are blessing others in the Jesus way, then in some sense we're helping them move deeper into Christ. We're helping them experience the love of Christ in some maybe small way. Now in the book, Michael Frost uh, goes back to the original Old English meaning of the verb to bless. He says it has to do with strengthening the arm. It's something that you do that brings strength to this other person, makes them feel stronger, and I agree with that, but you know, I don't think he went deep enough into the origins of that old English word to really understand it. It's worth looking into because blessing someone, it, it isn't just being nice to people. It's not just doing a good deed or helping an elderly lady across the street or something like that. I mean, anybody can be a nice person. You don't have to be a Christian to do nice things for your neighbors and do good deeds. I mean, Cub Scouts good de do good deeds to you know, earn merit badges and things like that. So the biblical idea of blessing is something more than just being a nice person. It comes from our faith as an expression of our connection with God. You see, in the Old English, the word to bless or the verb to bless had its roots in pagan worship. And the practice of sprinkling animal blood, something that was sacrificed, on an object or a person to set that thing apart for special use by the gods. A sacrificed animal or a person set apart for the gods. And Christians adopted that word because they saw a similar practice in Old Testament Jewish worship, setting a person or an object aside for God. Now, the Christians didn't want anything to do with animal blood or anything like that but they like the idea of blessing as a way of claiming something for God, setting something apart as special for God. And that's how began the practice of laying on of hands on a person as a blessing, praying the resources of God onto that person. Now, we still do that today when we pray for the sick or when we ordain people to special offices like elder and deacon or we're sending out a mission trip. We pray God's resources onto those people. In the same vein, that's why our Anglican and Catholic brothers and sisters do the sign of the cross. Originally, it was a sign of blessing. It was a setting apart for God. Of course, it, it can be just a, a meaningless ritual that is done without thinking, you know, like soccer players after they score a goal or something like that. It can be just a superstition. But originally, the sign of the cross was an expression of an unspoken prayer, a prayer over that person so that they might be more connected to Christ, more, more aware of God's purposes in their lives, to pronounce a blessing. It can be a meaningless ritual, or it can be the expression of a heartfelt desire. It depends on what's going on in the heart and mind of the blesser. Touching the thing, speaking over a person, giving the sign of the cross, even sprinkling with water, those were all expressions of an unspoken prayer, an unspoken 
blessing. So when we as Christians, when we desire to bless something, what we're really doing is, is kind of lifting people before God. We are announcing that they're valuable to God. The blessing, yes, it should add strength to their lives, but more than that, it's a way to show people, guess what? You are valued by God. When we bless someone, we are valuing them in God's eyes. So it's bigger than just saying, God bless you when somebody sneezes. As Christians, we believe every person is valuable in God's sight. Every person, not just the pretty or the wealthy or the talented or the smart. We we believe people have immeasurable value because God made each person uniquely. Their value, regardless of shape, size, or lifestyle, no matter what their visible or invisible sins might be, no matter if they are seeking God or even if they're openly antagonistic to the gospel, each person is still valuable to God. That's why the early church, they scooped up babies abandoned by the Romans. They believed the unwanted and the inconvenient. Those, these babies were still valuable to God and should not be killed. That's why Christians were the first to care for the disabled and the diseased, for those who weren't physically or mentally perfect. The Christian church was there to say every human being has value because each one is an expression of their creator God made in his image. And so we seek to bless other people because it's an expression of our faith in Christ. It is a Christ-like thing to do to bless others. John 10, 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. Jesus blessed people with his words, with his actions, with his touch. And so he's a good person to follow. It's a good habit to develop because it helps us to be more like Jesus. We lift up the value of others because that's what Jesus wants. Blessing is also in the spirit of the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 2, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. So friends, that's the reason why we bless. Now, how do we bless? What are the practical ways to bless people? Well, Michael Frost suggests three things, and you may think of other things that's okay to add to his list, but he suggests three possibilities. Words of affirmation, acts of kindness, and appropriate gifts. Words of affirmation, acts of kindness, and appropriate gifts. These are pretty self-explanatory. Words of affirmation simply means looking for positive things to say about people. Words that are encouraging and complimentary and uplifting. Uh, Many of us have read uh, Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, and this is the first of what he calls the love languages, encouraging, supportive, uplifting words. It lets the person know, uh, know, first of all, that you've noticed them, and then secondly, you've taken the time to connect with them. Encouragement can be done verbally, something just as simple as saying, good job, I like the way you did that, or some way of just being positive with people. Humorous Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment, you know, and I I think I'm the same way. A sincere, encouraging word goes a long way. It could be an email, or better yet, a handwritten note. Emails can be a little impersonal. We've kind of lost the tradition of actually writing out notes, but sending a note is a very powerful way to encourage people. Secondly, Frost says we can encourage people through acts of kindness, Some simple way that you do something unexpected that just helps another person. Something that makes their life a little easier. You lift the burden of their day just a little bit. 
Could be babysitting for an exhausted young couple so that they can have a night out together. Uh, could be doing some yard work, a spring cleaning for an elderly neighbor. Could be making a meal for somebody who's going uh, through a hospital or illness or something like that. Nothing spectacular. Nothing dramatic. Just simple acts of kindness because of your love for Christ and your desire simply to reflect that love to others. Nothing fancy because you want it to become a habit. And so you just begin to develop the mindset of looking for ways to do something positive that can help a friend or colleague or family member. You start to notice more. Your radar is kind of up to see, oh, here's an opportunity where I could bless them through an act of kindness. You turn your attention and your eyes get a little bit wider open to see the possibilities. And gifts. Gifts are a tricky one. Because you don't want to create any kind of obligation on the part of the recipient. Giving gifts, especially in the workplace, that could be, you should be very cautious there because that can be kind of, in the office, it's kind of rife with problems and potential misunderstandings. But in other situations, it could be a gift of food, it could be flowers, it could be a book, it could be anonymous financial assistance to somebody who know is in need or helping a family at Christmas or Thanksgiving. It should not be expensive, though, because if your goal is to develop this as a habit, if you're emptying out your bank account to bless other people, that's going to be a problem eventually. And so the idea of giving simple gifts actually is the hardest because it requires the most creativity. Simple gifts that the other person will receive as a blessing. So encouraging words, kind deeds, simple gifts. The really hard part in all this is actually doing it. And so Michael Frost in some of his videos talks about how blessing, in order for blessing to become a habit, you've got to begin to look outward and do it repetitively. And he suggests one person from your church, one person who's not a part of your church, and then one more person from either category. Three people a week that we're to bless. Three people a week. A word of encouragement, an act of kindness, or an appropriate gift. I mean, actually that... Sounds pretty easy, particularly if you drift over into just the encouraging words. You can pop out three encouraging people in a hurry, couldn't you? But as a matter of fact, it shouldn't be just something we check off our to-do list. It's not supposed to feel like an obligation. It's supposed to become a positive habit. And it'll take some thought in the beginning, take some effort the first few weeks. But the more you practice just being positive with people and expressing positive things to people the more it just becomes your natural way of living. It becomes part of who you are. Blessing others just becomes the way that you live. You treat others with value as an expression of your faith in Christ. You're deliberately more attentive, more kind, more responsive to the needs of others. You have your eyes open, and you become one of those people who just naturally blesses others. And in this way, it means you begin to partner with what God is doing in the world. You add strength to this other person's life. The blessing is given by people, but it's actually coming from God. Because God is already at work. In his videos, Michael Frost talks about the importance of prayer and all this. Because as you begin your week, Sunday night or Monday morning, what we really need to do is get down on our knees and say, God, who do you want me to bless? Who do you want me to bless this week? Because you see, God is already ahead of us. God is previous to us. God is already at work in the lives of the people that we encounter every day. God's already there before we show up. So through the Holy Spirit, he's already seeking to bless people. 
So he knows who's ready for a little push. He knows who needs that special word of encouragement. He knows the person who's feeling exhausted and needs you to come alongside them. I mean, we don't need to worry about trying to convert people. That's not really our job. Our job is not to kind of argue people into the kingdom of God. The converting, that's, jo that's God's job. All we do is set the table. All we do is set the tone. We cooperate with what God is already doing with no strings attached. And that's the important thing. No hidden agenda, not a bribe to get them to come to church. Your motive has to be just to please God. You bless them freely for Christ's sake. Now, last week we talked about how there are some people who are specially gifted as evangelists. And I think there are also some people who are specially gifted as blessers, who just have that that innate kind of natural ability to see the needs in other people's lives and respond to them. I just want to mention one of those people. She was at the 930 service today, so I don't want to embarrass her, but her initials are Linnea Murakami, okay? <laughs> and she makes these beautiful cards, these handmade cards like this one. Over the years, she has sent me so many of these handmade cards. She always includes just a simple little scripture verse or a note of encouragement. Um, this one is from 2002. It's one of my favorites that she made for me. She sent me these on my birthday in Pastor Appreciation Month, and just randomly throughout the year, she'll send me a card, just because she's a blesser. And I've saved every one of them. Why? Because I need encouragement. And I feel valued when I receive one. I feel the blessing of God through the time and the effort and the thoughtfulness that she put into making just a simple card. Now, I have no artistic ability whatsoever. I, I can't make a card like this. But I can write a personal thank you note, right? And so can you. My lack of artistic ability shouldn't stop me from still appreciating people. And so maybe it's done verbally. Maybe it's done in a written form. Maybe it's an act of kindness or a special gift. Whatever works for you, do it in faith because you're partnering with God to add value to another person's life. Why not try it? Why not try to develop a life of being a blesser? Not only will it make a positive difference in the life of the person you're blessing, it'll make a difference in your life because your heart will grow. You'll get bigger because in doing so, you're actually growing closer to Christ. You're becoming more and more like Jesus when you bless others. So that's your homework this week. Three people, somebody from the church, somebody outside the church, and maybe a third person. Intentionally bless them. Word of encouragement, act of kindness, simple gift. Have fun doing it. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for people who are naturally gifted as blessers. It just seems so easy for them to see a need and respond to it, Lord. I know I'm, that's not me naturally gifted, but thank you, Lord, that we can learn to do these things, that we can learn to be positive in our statements, in our comments. We can intentionally... Uh, bless people with our words. We can see an action, Lord, that needs to be taken, and we can step up, and we can step in and, and do it without any thought of getting thanks or credit or anything like that, Lord, just because we want to serve people in Jesus' name. And if there's a way that we can give some kind of a small gift, a token of appreciation, or a way of just blessing someone through a gift, Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to pray this week, Lord, who do you want me to bless? And then as we encounter those people, give us the courage to do it. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.